Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? It's going fairly well for a non-race weekend, I have to admit. It's been two weeks without F1. I'm, I'm quite excited about Imola. I think it's going to be a, a different challenge. I don't think it's the best track on the circuit, but it is, it's going to teach us something about the season, I think. It's going to be one for the patient watchers of the timing screens, I think. A classic. Those who hark back to the classic days of F1, well, you kind of have got your wish with the likes of Imola and Portimao. Uh, but let me tell you what's coming up on the show. We are going to do uh, a preview of next weekend's Grand Prix. We're going to cover all the news. We're going to ask our panellists if you are still a racing driver, even if you leave the odd gap alone. And we'll find out how to save tyres as well. We're also going to end the show with a 20-minute tech segment with Matthew Summerfield from motorsport.com as well. But let me remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Uh, We're also joined in the shed by very fast cart man and lovable rogue, Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, thank you. I too am looking forward to Imola, but I think it's not going to be as exciting as the first race, unfortunately. But we'll see. Prove me wrong. Does every F1 race need to be you know, explosions, fireballs, leaders coming together. Sometimes it can just be a, an interesting chess match. I think a variety through mm. the season is good. Yeah, I like those. I, I like the interesting strategic battles, but I, I hope we don't get the backlash from the F Formula One is ruined after one bad race crowd. Yes. Well, you'll wish you may fall on deaf ears. As soon <laughs> as we get a, a, a nothing you race, we will get the cries of F1 is boring. I think we've just got to learn to ignore them and come to nice places like this that, 
that outwardly like F1. Uh, but today we're going to learn about the strategy that Kyle was talking about uh, by learning how to save tyres with racing driver, tyre tester and uh, karting and sim expert Bradley Philpot. How's it going, Brad? It's going really well. Good evening, Spanners. Happy to join you guys in the shed and chat about Formula One. I've never thought to ask you how to save tyres, even though tyre saving is such a big part of F1 and we've had access to you, uh, a professional driver and tyre tester, all this time. I've never, we've always looked at it proactive. No, no, we've always looked at it after the fact. We've never looked at kind of it proactively and like, well, how would we go about saving tyres? When would we go about saving tyres? So we're going to pick your brains on that a little bit later. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it's not one of the sexy topics, but let's see if we can make it interesting and, and give people some information. And of course, apart from all of that, we're going to cover the... Big Dirty News. Uh, a few bits of news to cover before our juicy tyre, centre and tech segments, Matt. Where, where do you want to start? I mean, let's get this one out of the way. I, I'm never too thrilled about new track proposals mostly because they don't happen secondly unless you know the area intimately it's not particularly thrilling but why has this this piqued your interest well it's piqued my interest because this is the first second third maybe time they've tried to make this race happen you know it's like they're trying to make fetch happen only to formula one race and in this case it's donald ross owner of the miami dolphins bitter for Formula One and rumored to have made a secret deal with Liberty to drop out of the running in return for which he would get this particular race back again with a new tactic. Firstly, 10 points for the Mean Girls reference. I, I like that. Very fetch. Uh, so who is the person that is running this? Well, behind the scenes, it's Donald Ross. He right. owns the Miami Dolphins. He bid for buying from CBC the sport of Formula One. There were rumors to the effect that Liberty and Donald Ross may have struck a deal whereby he stopped bidding, and in return, he would get a race in Miami. And this is also important for Liberty's strategy of trying to increase U.S. exposure. Now, Carl, I know you hate everything, especially when people are trying hard, but I, I, I love the American attitude of, Let's try hard and get excited about everything. And I, I do want to see F1 move to a more US-centric platform. I want to see more US fans getting excited about F1. I want to see it go to Miami. I want glitz and, and glamour. Yeah, I'm all for it. I like it and I like the enthusiasm. Um, I don't think this is going to be a bad thing. Look at, the, um, look at when Liberty took over Formula One and the first Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas and they put on a huge show. It it was something that Formula One had never seen. Whether people liked it or loathed it, it was a massive spectacle and more sort of Formula One in America is going to be more fans for Formula One, which can only be a good thing. So I fully support this and I hope this race comes off, but I don't know, not, not too sure. All right. Well then, Matt, um, how long is it going to be before we find out it's not happening? And is it going to be another pointless street circuit? Well, thankfully, for those of you with short attention spans and or patience issues. Hey, I you, mean, you mean me. Do I? I don't know. I didn't say any names out loud. <laughs> um, we know that there is a vote being held on April 14th, uh, which would be this coming Wednesday. And what they've done and, and what's important and why this stands a better chance is a former councilman who actually voted against the last proposal 
is now mayor of Miami Gardens. Miami Gardens is where the stadium is located and where they're trying to put the race on. He is now in favor of it, and it might have something to do with the fact that Donald Ross is going to invest $5 million in the community, and Formula One is going to set up and run a STEM program for that community. All right. All right. Well, consider that news item covered, right? Until we hear more. No, a little bit more. Except for the original community group is still saying they're going to sue the pants off of anyone who tries to have a Formula One race. Mm -hmm. So Uh it's not exactly uh, as Sky likes to say, done and dusted, I suppose. Brilliant. So in in my head, that's definitely not happening. The problem with these news items is they always come in three or four years ahead of time, don't they? So while it's fun to, to speculate, that you never get any kind of practical news about these things and uh, you need a little bit of patience. So I suggest we move on to a pressing issue, which is the sprint races. They're definitely happening now, Matt. Well, they were always going to happen, but there was an issue and the issue was brought up uh, by the biggest teams of pointing out that, hey, you know, it might cost us more money to do sprint races than qualifying. And so who's going to pay for that? Now, why would it cost more money? Well, you know, crashes, wear and tear on the power units, extra stuff. You know, qualifying is is a pretty small number of laps relative to the length of the sprint race. Yeah, and I'm not sure they've been given any extra power unit um, allowance for components. And, of course, running a race for, well, the best part of an hour, which probably is going to be all 45 minutes, and if it's particularly for qualifying, they're going to be pushing those engines and those PUs much, much harder than they would for, you know, the comparative use over, say, three flying or four flying quality laps. So I'm not sure that that's been allowed for either. So I can see why the teams are kicking back and want a bit extra back for it. Okay, so it looks like the money side has been solved. From a fan point of view, Matt, when are these sprint qualifying races happening? Do we know? Uh, Silverstone, Monza, and Interlagos is where they are going to happen. And what's interesting about this and, and sort of what made me, I don't know, uh, have a different take on it is that, uh, there was a quote from Christian Horner and all the papers. There just has to be a sensible allowance that takes into account because we're chasing 10, 20, 30,000 pound savings to make the cost cap. So one of their biggest complaints is they're going to have to spend extra money, but they have this cost cap. And I'm just thinking, you know, I don't see Haas having that particular issue. It's sort of like a, wow, gee, isn't life hard when you're very rich and have to spend less money sort of thing. So Haas will just run those extra laps. And if the car dies, the car dies, I think will just be their general attitude to it. Well, I think they're not concerned about bumping up against the top of the cost cap this year if you catch my drift. All right. Well, Brad, where did you fall on these sprint races? If it's, if it's definitely happening, there's no point. We can't whinge anymore and, and argue about whether it should. It, it is happening. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I'll sound like I'm whinging unless I just say, let's wait and see how it no. comes out. But I'm I'm very much in the camp of, I don't think it's broken. I, I don't want sprint races because I don't think we need a, like a spicing yeah. up thing. So from my personal point of view, I like how it already is. I don't want us to ever fall into the kind of gimmicky trap. So I'd rather we didn't, but let's see how it goes. The counter to that is... Everything was a gimmick once. This qualifying format was a gimmick once. Aero was a a gimmick once. We can do whatever we want. There's no such thing as as pure F1. I just want to ask Brad this one thing, which is how do you, what's the worst case scenario? What could happen on this sprint race that makes it worse? So yes, I agree. Don't tinker with it if that was my choice. But worst case scenario, we get a sprint race. It decides the grids. 
what have we what have we lost um devaluing the actual race itself confusing people making them think oh but hang on didn't didn't someone already win this race what the race is on again today oh I, okay i've missed it but i think I, I think i'm pretty sure i saw hamilton win it yesterday so you know just taking it detracting from the actual event i think the race should be very much the main event and having an extra thing before it it just seems a bit strange so. well, hang on a minute carl west bound badger oh good good chat username i like that says sprint races means more races it's a yes from me stop your belly aching kyle um i'm in brad's school of thought here uh i do think it can devalue the actual and take away merit from the actual main races think back to 2014 the final round with the double points um Oh God! That kind of devalued the rest of the other races, and oh, Kyle, we got away with that. Sorry, I was thinking about this the other day. How much did we <laughs> get away with the, a massive controversy there? Because Rosberg was behind, and he was mathematically in it because of the double points in 2014. If you're new to F1, I basically Abu Dhabi wanted to be a deciding race, so it was double points for the final Grand Prix. Nico Rosberg was more than 25 points behind, but but would have been able to to win if if Hamilton had a problem basically one Mercedes had a dodgy gearbox it happened to be Nico Rosberg if it had been the other way around Nico Rosberg was the 2014 world champion but only on this double points and can you imagine can you imagine social media if that had happened yeah it's um it would be crazy and I think this is not quite the same but similar and um Manith Hetty in the chat room points uh, makes a very, very, very good point of will the winner of a sprint race be an F1 race winner or a Grand Prix race winner? What happens then? It, 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 it's essentially taking away the value of the other races in, in, in my eyes, but it's happening. Let's embrace it, I guess. But yeah. yeah, I'm not a fan. So from a stats point of view, Matt, I imagine that that sprint race isn't actually a race. It is a qualifying session. So the winner of the sprint race, just like in qualifying now, will be classified as having led that practice session because qualifying is classed as a, a practice session. I think it always has been. Therefore, these sprint races will also be classed as a practice session. Uh, so I believe you are correct. There was going to be a committee set up to look at all of these issues because there's prize money involved. There's driver contracts involved about whether this is classified as a race, whether the person is a race winner or wins qualifying, for example. And there will be a qualifying session still on Friday that will replace second practice. And I need to pause for a moment. The owner of the Miami Dolphins is Stephen Ross, not Donald Ross. That would be my mistake. I do apologize. Right, that's it. You're replaced with Kyle. Kyle, uh, tell us where the race was won and lost. Oh, no, that's ne next week. Uh, anyway, sorry, Matt, on to sprint races still. Yeah, well, the thing about the sprint races and, and where I disagree with my esteemed panel members is that it is something different. We are liable to wind up with a more interesting grid on Sunday, or at least different than we would get from standard qualifying. We might see some cars starting in positions they normally weren't because they're better in the race than in qualifying, which could be fun. Hello, Sergio Perez. <sighs> cough, cough, cough. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's not going to be any more of an investment of time, I believe, than it would be to watch a standard qualifying session. So, hello, there's nothing but potential upsides and very few downsides. So I just want to pick up on what Matt's just said there. So let's just pick that apart. So we <laughs> might have a different order to the grid to what we would normally have from qualifying. So what you're saying is some cars that are better in the race, so they would naturally move from their qualifying positions into a different position in the race. So they will yeah. have already done that and then we'll race 
and they'll already be in the position that they would have gotten to between qualifying and the race. So actually that makes the race more boring because the good racers have already raced into the place that they're going to be in. So that won't change from qualifying. But then that puts all the good racers in the same place at the start, which I will say could also be a kind of entertainment we don't normally see. Okay, but instead of, Matt, uh, uh, sorry, Brad, the, the argument as to whether to do it or not, I mean, in, in many ways is, has been solved because we're going to try it. Whether we do it forever in 2022 is, is another thing. Let, let's look at this from a tactical point of view. You're now a driver, and instead of doing your qualifying session, which is your ultimate lap, you've now got a, a race to contend with. So if you're Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, you've got a lot more to lose in that sprint race. I don't know, uh, Carl, what do you think? You, you might end up having to settle for third or fourth because you don't want to tangle with Leclerc and with, uh, with Vettel. You don't want Vettel anywhere near your gearbox, do you, breaking into a braking zone? So it's a different I'd tactic, different approach. Yeah. I'd hate this if I was a driver because qualifying, the ultimate risk is in your own hands. Your destiny is in your hands. If something goes wrong, it's likely your mistake or if you get balked. In a qualifying race you're at the mercy of everyone else on that track and into the first major braking zone. It's so easy to get a tag. So the, so the, so the potential risk of being taken out and having a disaster, there's a huge lump of that added. So if I was a driver, I would not like this at all. So I've experienced this exact format or something extremely similar because in, in racing, there are lots of different formats yeah. when you do karting and car racing and stuff. And just a couple of weekends ago, I was in a kart event where you had a qualifying session and then you had several races where your finishing position of the race dictated where you started for the next race uh, until you got to the final, which was the, the big one. So I've got a bit of an insight into the mentality that goes on here. Obviously, qualifying is the same as normal. You drive as fast as possible. And in the races, you do end up with this kind of mindset of, I just need to move forward. I yeah. just need to be conservative enough that I finish this race and kind of bank my position because ultimately the result of this race isn't the be all and end all. I just need to make sure I don't ruin the main race. So yeah. it might end up being a little bit it might sanitized be an because of that. And, and I'll tell you what, Brad, the, the, the big fear here is, I mean, what do we all want? Everyone listening to this, what do we all want this season is a battle between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. If one of those two ends up getting taken out, Kyle, in the sprint race, I mean, that's going to, it's going to ruin Sunday. We could potentially, you know, Sunday's done before we, oh, yes, I know there's a potential uh, let's let Matt argue with this. I know there's a potential for that to happen in qualifying, but now we're talking carbon on carbon, wheel to wheel action. It's way more likely we lose a front runner and we just don't get to see them on Sunday. Because we lose front runners all the time. Um, Verstappen and Hamilton, they're constantly in crashes when they're starting at the front after they've qualified first and second, which is mostly what they're probably going to do this year. No, I, I, I wanted to address real quick. I saw people talking about points. I believe points are only going to be for the top three finishers, and it's not going to be a lot of points. So no, you're not talking about completely changing how the championship is being calculated, but it does have the potential for making it a little more interesting, particularly if you're a fan of Hamilton in a year when Mercedes looks like they may not have the best car. Um, this makes me even more against it if there are points on on the table, because you we could have the horrible scenario that the championship is decided in the qualifying race or by a qualifying race by by a couple of points. It's not going to be at the final race of the season, but the only way to make people go for it properly and avoid the situation, as Brad said, where it might be a bit diluted and people are just cruising to get a grid slot is to offer points up for it. But then 
it's a shorter race. Do those points still have the same value as before? It just opens a whole can of worms that doesn't need to be opened. And I, yeah, I think you're in Brad's camp, which is just like, it, you know, it doesn't feel necessary to you. But okay, before we leave this topic, for Brad and for Kyle, who are the most negative, is there anything that could happen on this format on a Saturday sprint race that could make you go, oh, actually, that, that was a good idea? Let's make this falsifiable. Like, is there any is there any way it improves it for you? Brad's shaking his head a bit. Kyle? Yeah, like, um, as I said earlier, it, it, it's here. Let's try to embrace it. I'm not going to sit there writing it off, but the way to make me actually like it, if it is amazing, they're all going for it and it throws up a great, a great result and the race the next day is amazing. And, but then I still will question, well, has that devalued? the whole thing but that's the way to make me love it if it is absolutely amazing if it's not amazing then i think it's going to get a lot of negativity there's people in the chat saying we sound like we're 80 years old and i just want to point out that it sounds like we're being negative about this but because we we are positive about the sport as it is yes we're not naysaying i just feel like this is maybe pandering to the wtf1 crowd negativity and i don't like that i don't like that they're kind of getting a win when actually we've got a great sport that's that's looking quite good at the moment Okay, so I will finish up real quick by saying this idea, along with reverse grids, came from a survey Liberty did when they first took over the sport, and they've agreed to try this one out. Having said that, I think I can address both Brad and Kyle by throwing up the following scenario. Race one, Verstappen on pole. Hamilton wins after a 100-lap battle. Verstappen starts second, catches Hamilton with 10 laps to go, and they fight it out at the end in the main race on Sunday. You're potentially looking at twice the Hamilton-Verstappen battle time than you would get in a single race. And what could possibly be wrong with that? Did you say 100-lap battle? 100-kilometer. 100-kilometer. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) You and your traitor units. What's that in... What's that in furlough, in furlongs? In, in freedom units? I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do, Matt. Uh, we're going to catch up with a, a little short pre-recorded segment with one of the new writing team, you and Flip Jakobsen, our new editor-in-chief over at MissedApex.net, have uh, had, had, had a busy opening weekend with a, a flurry of articles, treated, uh, greeted pretty well, actually, for, from everyone, the standard of the writing it pleasantly surprised me. I'm really happy. We all took a bit of a deep breath, but now we're building up with some writing uh, leading up to Imola as well. You, you happy with how it's gone so far? Well, yeah, I'm very happy. I think the articles that have been on, uh, particularly when we're about to hear about, have been really good. And what I want to stress is that the weekend race coverage is wall to wall, every session, every bit of action on track. There's no one that covers as much action as this merry band of pranksters. And they are very, very good at what they do. They're better than me, if I'm being honest, because they have more eyes and they're also younger and they just pay better attention. Uh, Yeah, the the thing that makes me enthusiastic about this attempt to do writing is that it is a large, dedicated, proven team of writers. And we caught up with one of those, Philip Barton, a little bit earlier in the week. And I started off by asking him how he was settling in at MissedApex.net. Uh, I'm, I'm holding up pretty good. I'm getting used to pacing. Uh, obviously, we're just barely diving into the chaos. And even, you know, just as things got, you know, uh, exciting because the first race kicked off, Bahrain was exciting. And then uh, three weeks of nothing. So <laughs> it's, it's, you, you, I'm at that point now where you just kind of, 
on your uh, kind of hands on the knees, tilting back and forth, going, I want to get going, which, uh, I, you know, thankfully, you know, I've been able to distract myself with other uh, things that I, uh, I've been able to write about since as well. So we became very spoilt towards the end of last season with mm-hmm. it seemed like a race every weekend. So to yes. suddenly have all that build up and then a three week gap feels very jarring. A Formula E has has done worse in the past. It's had a two month gap between race one and two. So we can handle two weekends <laughs> off of F1 because it's about to get very frantic. Now, I teased mm-hmm. Matt because we were had loads of build up to this writing crew joining us, a 16 mm-hmm. strong army of writers joining MissedApex.net. And the very first article was about the logistics of, <laughs> was about the logistics of shipping, and that was <laughs> written by you, Philip. Um, and you've come at us again from a side angle. You have written about energy drinks within F1. What motivated yes. you to write about energy drinks? Um, first of all, being a, a young adult like many of us out here, that we've all had our share of energy drinks. It's something that's really common. Um, I remember being in school and seeing people walk around with those huge cans of energy drinks, specifically Monster, because that was something more regional to where I was. Uh, it became bigger as time went on, obviously. But um, it's one of those sort of things where I was just like, you know, a lot of people know about Red Bull. A lot of people know about some of the other energy drinks, but nobody knows the influence. Right. And let's talk about that influence. Why does there seem to suddenly be such a synergy between energy drinks and F1? Um, a lot of it has to do with it kind of fits the culture. You know, you've got racing. It's a real high octane kind of a thing. Yeah. A lot of energy. You're like, ah, yes, drinks. Same thing. <laughs> you need the energy drink to kind of keep yourself going. So you yeah. need that drink. Yeah. Same thing. And it's kind of that party scene, kind of similar culture, especially as it's become more and more I guess you could say mainstream um, with drivers becoming more and more of a celebrity status kind of a thing. In the UK, Red Bull Mm. for people of a certain generation is definitely associated with party time. You know, a a vodka and Red Bull was very much the way to, and then you would have like a, and then you would drop that in a, in something else with Jägermeister. So it was very (laughs) much like a party drink. Everyone knows about Red Bull. And Monster, I guess, with the Lewis Hamilton sponsorship. Are there, are there other energy drinks in and around? Oh, yes. Rich Energy, of course. How could I forget? <laughs> yeah, Rich Energy is a, a very notorious one. One of the many, um, I, I, dare, I, I dare say, kind of scandalous. Um. <laughs> I mean, the words money laundering have been used by people, <laughs> not by me. I want to make that very clear to our lawyers. <laughs> but, but what other, what other we, will, we will not insinuate anything <laughs> but are those the t- the main two is rich energy um, uh, sorry monster and red bull monster and red bull are the the most long-standing yes we've had other energy drinks come and go um for example hype energy that one was kind of the the original it was the first one to break out on scene before red bull popped on uh, out on scene you had hype energy and it was it kind of stuck around kind of hopped around different teams for a bit, uh, disappeared. And then more recently, it was uh, sponsoring Force India up until they became Racing Point. And after 2019, they've kind of disappeared off the grid again. Um, so that's just another kind of more high profile example. We have others like Hell Energy. You know, don't you love the names of energy drinks? They're never like, like you know, Rose Petal. 
energy. Those pedal, yeah. like there's there's one out here that's called Venom. I was like, yeah, no, we're gonna drink something that might kill you. <laughs> Rocket plasma energy. That's all they're called. Okay, so I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil yes. uh, too much of the details of the article. Mm-hmm. You can go and find it at mistapex.net, and it's a, it's quite a lengthy and in depth and interesting article. I would say that um, I'm biased. I want people to go and enjoy the work of the writing team. And by the way, I have to say. Yeah. It's all going down really well. We've, we've had really lovely comments about the standard of writing, and I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with what your team is doing. I'm looking forward to more. Um, but answer this one question for me. Yes. Do you think we're going to see any other energy drinks matching the commitment of Red Bull? So are we going to have monster racing at some point? Uh, honestly, it really depends upon how things grow. Um, the industry is kind of new mm. if you really take into consideration tobacco by comparison. You got an industry that what everybody knows and associates with that form because you know, especially with between a Ferrari and McLaren back in the early years, sponsored by Marlboro, and everybody knew them. That's kind of what it was, what, and they had so much money to just kind of throw in there because you have an industry that is so international that they, you know, they can just pull money out of, they, you know, it's, it's falling out of their pockets. They don't have any, they're just, they're willing to spend the money versus uh, some of these energy drinks, you know, F1 isn't just a tool to uh, uh, to put their their sponsorship on just to kind of, you know, make themselves known in the yeah. space. But it's a marketing tool because you have F1 being such an international sport um, in the truest sense of the word. Um, it's the best way to get their product out there, um, which is probably why there have been different energy drinks kind of cutting in and out so will we see an ever increasing energy drink landscape in formula one to find out you'll have to go over to <laughs> mistapex.net and read philip barton's uh philip barton's article philip do you have some social media that we could um find i do have an instagram Ooh. um it's uh pb as in peanut butter you know pb uh racing and writing PB um, Racing and Writing. Fantastic. Yes. Philip Barton, thank you very much for your time. Look forward no to seeing more of your work. No problem. I'll be around. <laughs> Hooray. I managed to get a pre-recorded segment out without too many complaints, Matt. Uh, but energy drinks in F1. I, I, I struggle to believe that uh, Red Bull are just in it purely for advertising they could buy a bunch of advertising there's there's got to be a huge amount of of passion for motorsport within that organization otherwise they just wouldn't do it you'd look at like like monster energy and and rich energy where it feels like the motives are different and i, I don't know i i the article is really good i just i don't see any other red bulls emerging well, I think the comparison between the size of the industries is key to why there probably won't be another Red Bull. But it's worth noting that Red Bull, in addition to all their other extreme sports that they normally do, they they played in the NASCAR sandbox. And in fact, your friend Gunther Steiner was the Red Bull manager mm. of, the, of the NASCAR team before they decided to pull out because they weren't getting the results they liked. And I think probably Dietrich Mateschitz all along understood if he could have a championship team named after his drink, that the marketing rewards he would reap would be completely worth it. And I'm not sure that any other drinks company is its own industry to that extent that they'd be willing to make that bet. All right. Well, I think that just about does it for Big Dirty News.
Right, let's take advantage of our expert panel here then. What we've got on the panel is two very quick guys. Uh, we've got a professional a driver, a race driver, GT driver, Nordschleife specialist. Is that how you say it? Nordschleife specialist. Uh, two-time VLN series class champion and a professional tyre tester as well. Um, we've also got Kyle. Kyle, you're really good at go-karts, like super good at go-karts. I'm not too bad. I wouldn't say super good. I'm also not too bad in the sim, but I'm nowhere near uh, Brad's <laughs> pedigree. So I'm actually looking forward to learning something myself during this segment. Two very knowledgeable guys. Now, I want to justify what we're going to talk about because people get very upset, Brad, when we try to compare real racing to, to F1 racing. So, uh, sorry, to iRacing, our sim racing. In this particular case, I think we have some really good crossover in that you've started doing the F1 series within iRacing you also have the knowledge base to look at the tyre saving in that sim, take your knowledge also of your professional tyre testing and your knowledge as an F1 fan looking at F1. And and you're fairly convinced that there's a lot of crossover here, enough to give us a, a podcast segment anyway. Yeah, so in a nutshell, as you mentioned, I've been doing this Formula One series in iRacing and there's an element of that, which is the tyres wear out quite quickly, which means in order to run preferential strategies you have to save the tires and when i noticed this rather than having to do some weird trick of the game i just worked out okay i'll just do what i would do in real life um, to save tires And, and obviously in real life racing you encounter plenty of times where you need to save tires for whatever reason because you maybe there's no pit stop in this particular race or maybe you need to get to the pit stop without running out of tires whatever it is and you develop certain techniques in order to to make that happen. And I've been applying that to the F1 um, championship in this, in iRacing Sim. And I'm going to just talk to you about how you do it, basically. Okay, so the scenario is we are a Formula One driver. We've gotten our start. We've settled in. Uh, There's no one ahead that we particularly want to catch. We want to hold our position. We're trying to get a good stint in. And I guess the aim is to extend the stint to the extent that we can go longer. So we're going to have fresher tyres f- f- towards the end of the race. So what we never really think about when we're talking about F1 and we're watching the race is how they go, OK, save your tyres. Don't use up your tyres. Can you give us a one on one, a 101? What are the drivers doing to, to save their tyres? So they're doing lots of things. But the key is your tyre is is going to wear out faster if you ask it to do more work. And by more work, I mean ask it to operate in different directions at the same time. So obviously the the tire is um, going in a straight line and not using very much um, rubber, not using very much life if you're not spinning the wheels or locking the wheels. So if you can avoid those two things, that's a really good start. So accelerating smoothly out of each corner, um, not applying more steering lock than you need to, which you might do when you're on the limit, when you're really leaning on the tire in a qualifying lap, you, you might ask for a bit more of a slip angle because you know the tire doesn't need to last very long and it can and it can give you that extra grip so you're trying to make sure it does as much as possible whilst in a straight line so that's the first thing okay but we're losing time doing all of these things right that that's un, that is unavoidable yes absolutely and, and the compromise comes in you need to work out how much time it's worth losing in order to avoid having to do say an extra pit stop so it might be quicker to lose two or three tenths of a second per lap by driving more gently on the tyres, and we can talk about exactly what we mean by that yes, in a moment, than it would be to push that little bit harder, gain a bit of time, but have to do an extra pit stop, which will cost you, say, 30 seconds. 
So working out what that compromise is is quite important. So you know how much to save the tires because you could go the other way. You could save them too much, have a lovely fresh set, but actually you've lost more time than if you'd just come into the pits anyway. So Kyle, very manageable for Brad. So Brad's jumped into doing the IGP F1 series and iRacing and he's gone, yay, it's all about tires. And I, I understand that. That's like literally my bread and butter for a, a more mortal racer like, like yourself. You're probably closer to me than Brad, to be fair. Has that, is that fun? Is that going into your sim where we're used to pushing really hard in the F3, then suddenly you have to go to the F1 and go, ah, I need to not go as fast as I can. What am I missing? For me, that's what makes it fun. It's the strategy element. And I've got quite a smooth style anyway, so it naturally suited me. And I like the fact that you can, you have to let, you have to do your own race. And as Brad said, like you can maybe go two, three tenths faster if you needed per lap, but you know you're not going to get to the end and it all comes together at the end of the laps. But referring to what Brad was saying, um, when you hear engineers talking to the drivers during the race in an F1 race and saying, right, we need your delta time, we need delta minus 0.5, that's that's what they're talking about, their delta time. They're not driving flat out every single lap. They are driving to this delta time, which is what the engineers have pre-prescribed lap time that they can drive to save the tyres at that. All right, Brad, but I'm assuming you can get this wrong. It would be possible to drive slower and wear your tyres. So, I mean, this is a real skill. At what point in the motorsport ladder do you think a young driver suddenly goes from, right, be flat out, go as fast as you can, break as late as possible, to, okay, now we've got to do this whole other thing where you don't drive as, as hard as possible and we've got to save the rubber on the tyres? Yeah, that's actually it's a really good question. And it's going to really depend on what that driver is racing on their way up through the ladder, because this is very much dependent on the kind of race and the kind of tyres that, that they'll be using. I probably first encountered this um, when I was racing Toyota MR2s like 13 or 14 years ago. And it wasn't because the tyres would wear out. We were running on road tyres. But I needed to do the same things as we're talking about here to tyre save to keep the temperatures down. Right. Because if you went and pushed flat out all the way through the race, the tyres would never wear out. They just go, they just get too hot to perform well enough. So you kind of learn this style of introducing the steering a little bit more smoothly than you would do on a flat out lap. You'll brake just a little bit earlier so you can be more sure that you're never going to lock the tyres. And you'll try and do a lot less crossover of acceleration and steering, braking and steering. You know, you can't trail the brakes as aggressively because you're trying to not make them do as much work. You're just lowering the percentage of work that the tyres are doing in all the different scenarios that happen during the race. Yeah, so as you're driving, I presume you don't take it to the point of them overheating and then react to it and back off. I presume you're trying to um, get to this theoretical point, like you and your MR2 race, I presume you were just trying to gauge and judge how hard you could push to not reach that point and constantly stay just below it. So I guess the really good drivers are, are the ones who can exploit right up to the last sort of point um, one of the percent just below the point where they start to overheat. Yeah, you certainly, you know when it happens the first time. And if, you've, if you're thinking about it, then obviously you realise what's happening and you try to then learn from that and not let it happen again. So obviously the guys in Formula One that do this the best, uh, they've got the experience of knowing exactly how far they can push and they they drive in the right style before this happens. Like you said, they're not reacting to it. They're not overheating the tires or wearing them out and then going, oh, I should probably drive more gently now. They're just always driving just within the limit in order to get to the, the delta time that they need to. Right. And along those lines, the Pirelli tires in particular are very susceptible to what is called um, 
if you stress them thermally, they do not go back to where they, they were. Right. You lose that extra time. And we see it a lot, especially on outlaps when people are either thrown right out into a battle or are trying to catch. If they go too fast too soon, they lose the best of the tires very quickly. And the other thing I just wanted to add to what Brad was saying earlier, because it always stuck with me, is that if you think of your tires having 100% of traction, as you are turning, you are taking away from your ability to brake. If it's 20% turning, you can only use 80% brake before you get yourself into trouble. And that's always stuck with me, and I love the way he expressed it. Yeah, so you, that's exactly it. That That's really the best way to think of it. Your tire has a finite amount of work it can do in a given situation. If you're asking it to do 100% of that work, you know, use all of its grip in a straight line, you can't introduce any steering at that point. You can't introduce any lateral force because that's when it will break away. That's when it will slide. That will accelerate your heat buildup and your tire wear. And so you're trying to always do as few things or ask the tire to do as few things as possible. So for example, in a corner where you would normally really trail the brakes in, um, say Brooklands at Silverstone, where right. you would be braking hard and turning quite hard and carrying speed up to the apex, you'll start to do a bit more of your braking with the brakes rather than using the tires, the front tires to help slow the car down by turning. You just change that compromise slightly. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I see, I remember this when you were coaching uh, my little lad, Treeface, with the carting into a big hairpin. There was a certain point where you were saying to him, okay, you've got the brakes, but as you're going into the apex, there's a certain point where we're going to let the tyres do the work. We're going to let the tyres bring the last bit of speed down to get us 
to the apex, all of that in an F1 car would be increasing temperature, increasing tire wear. So we've got this comment from Isaac in the in the live chat. Is it true that Hamilton's secret to tire management is all about his hard braking late into the corner and then a smooth acceleration out? A, do you think that would help? And and B, I guess if he's if he's getting a lot of the braking out of the way early, then he's stressing the tire less through the corner. Yeah, so you think maybe that doing hard braking might make things worse. But if he's doing that to then avoid having to load the tire up whilst he's still going quickly, so getting the deceleration done and then rotating the car when it's going slightly slower. And and obviously, remember, all these things, it's not like each driver's doing a massive dramatic thing different from the next driver. These are small percentages that add up over a stint. Um, maybe Hamilton's style in that situation is maybe that's how it's working. He's doing the braking in a straight line, doing mm. it hard and late and then rotating the car at a low speed where the tyre is under much less stress. And this is where you hear people, you've heard Martin Brundle say it a few times on commentary, when drivers have an efficient driving style, they can get the lap time out of it without having to um, spank the car through what uh, through want of a better expression, like um, to actually push it into the corners too hard. And and also adaptable drivers, because as the tyres and the generation of the car changes, changes how well the drivers adapt to it so remember back in 2011 when it was going to change first to Pirelli's and they were going to be really really delicate I for one was one of the people chirping saying I think Hamilton's going to really really suffer because he did have a very aggressive driving style and he was known for being hard on the tyres and he completely adapted his style around it look at Verstappen when he first jumped into the Red Bull and pulled off a miracle tyre drive to win his first Grand Prix in the Red Bull it's how these drivers instantly get their head around how to extract it which cuts them apart from the other drivers Brad? So I, I was just going to start talking about other ways in which you can tire safe, but I don't know at which point uh, everyone's going to fall asleep. So. Okay, before you do that, I I want to defend the... Because people get bored and upset and they go, oh, what, tire saving, that's not the sport. But the way you describe it, you're just changing the limit that you're driving on. These guys are still having to to drive very well and to drive hard. But instead of the limit being the track, the limit is is tire wear, Matt. Well, the limit is tire wear, but for everyone complaining about tire wear, first of all, there's always been tire saving in every form of motorsport ever, including old Formula One races. Second of all, if you want to talk about saving, a lot more saving now is done to keep the power units from going pop every second or third race. And it's not just the tires. The entire sport is now more focused on conservation than it is on all-out speed. And given that, the fact that it's faster than at any time we've ever seen in history I think it's pretty amazing, to be honest. Okay, Brad, let's have your couple of extra ways to save tyres. So we've got don't lean on the tyre and use the tyre for braking. Let's use the brakes for, for all of that. Uh, we want to accelerate smoothly out of the corner so that we're not losing traction and spinning up the wheels and heating them. Uh, and of course, we don't want to do anything overly aggressive. What else am I doing in my fake F1 scenario? So one thing that you do is you have a set amount of steering lock that you mentally kind of register as the maximum that that you're going to allow yourself to use for a certain corner. So using Silverstone as an example again, and this is mainly because this is a track I've just been driving in in the race series I've been racing in. Um, Luffield, which is the long right-hander before you come onto the old pit straight. It's a very, very long right-hander and it's a corner that if you're not paying attention could really damage your front left tyre, which is the critical tyre at Silverstone anyway. Because you're leaning on it while you're slowing down as well. 
you're leaning you up when you're slowing down, but in particular, you're you're turning for a very long time. And if you if you want to get a really quick exit and a very quick mid corner speed at Luffield, you could push a bit harder, scrub that front left a bit harder, so you're always effectively on the limit of what that tire can give you. But that will really uh, wear out faster than you want it to if you're in a tire limited race. So one thing you'll do through a corner like that is you'll get to a certain amount of steering lock and you'll feel the point where it starts, the steering starts to get a bit lighter in your hands. So at the point where it's heaviest, that's where you're getting the most grip from the tire. If you go past that and you're just scrubbing the front, it might not necessarily be very much slower. It might be slightly faster if you can afford that that extra tire use. Um, But you'll find that when you're in a tire saving lap and you'll just wind the steering back from there and not allow yourself to push past it. So if you're starting to get understeer, rather than the natural reaction for most people, which is just apply a bit more lock, yeah. so just reduce the speed so you're always keeping the steering at that heaviest point, even more so than you would do on a push lap. Because that's kind of part of trying to avoid understeer anyway. But you rein it in another couple of percent more than that, and that means you're not scrubbing at all. You're, you're still getting the angle you want. You're still taking the line you want. You're doing it at a slightly reduced maximum speed but you're really preserving that tire in that situation so you kind of limit the amount yeah. of lock you allow yourself to use see cole for all the negativity what brad is describing there is 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 a real sensitive limit that you've got to detect it's not really massively different from the limit at which you lose the back end and you slide or the limit at which you scrub the front wheels and understeer off the track it's just a, a, a different limit a different target yeah it's a limit within a limit of driving and ultimately yeah. a lot of it comes down as especially as brad was saying the major one for me and zim is the steering lock thing um is discipline it's not maybe fun and rock and roll but it's just discipline you you have to be hard on yourself and like do not go past that past that point because you know in that moment the tire can give you a bit more it can give you a slightly faster apex speed if you ask for that extra steering lock you'll you'll go slightly quicker through that corner but you will run out of tire earlier. You'll have less performance later. So it's getting that getting that balance just right. So you're not going too slow, but you're you're um, also getting the the best compromise. Fantastic. I really appreciate that, Brad. I will personally be looking out for those things uh, now when they say right they're in a tire saving mode or can they extend the tires out instead of perhaps that perception we sometimes have, which is oh they're just going slower and therefore saving the tires. This conversation hopefully we'll put it in a a bit of a new light and you can start to see the skill and the new limit that i think they're driving on or you can let us know that we are we're just being apologists for the current pirelli system we love to hear from you believe it or not you can follow us at missed apex f1 on twitter our dms are open uh, at spanners ready dms are open in that as well at kyle power f1 his dms are open but at your own risk at bradley philpot on twitter and at matt pt 55 as well uh, we hope you're enjoying the show you can always email me and matt matt at spanners no hang on matt at mistapex.net and spanners at mistapex.net or feedback at mistapex.net and we we both get that if you want to support the show please feel free to do so at patreon.com forward slash mistapex join our community of patreon supporters at patreon.com forward slash mistapex we have a lovely little forum on slack where we hang out and chat and uh, this Friday, I haven't asked Matt yet, but I would like to do a uh, a post-FP2 patron-only live stream. We had a lot of fun doing those at the end of last season. And whenever we are free to do those, we will do those as well. I'll say it one more time. Patreon.com 
forward slash Missed Apex. Oh, go on. You know you want to. And being a patron will somehow en- enhance your uh, viewing of the Imola Grand Prix. It's not called the Imola Grand Prix, is it, Carl? I keep saying it. What's it called? It's the, the Emilia Regalia. I don't know. Yeah. Romagna. That's definitely not what it is. What is it, Matt? <laughs> Good it's effort. Emilia Romagna. Okay. But I mean, I chickened out of it and I threw it. I thought, who's the least likely to know? Let's throw it to Kyle. The Emilia... Romagna. Excellent. A, a historic track, um, a track that, you know, there's so much F1 um, consciousness as part of that track, you know, not just with Senna, but just the fact that it is an old school track. And Carl, when people are, uh, are talking about wanting these these classic F1 races, oh, these Tilkadromes, they're terrible. Well, I mean, last season we, we got the comparison that everyone wanted because we had a lot of classic old school tracks alongside the quote-unquote Tilkadromes. Imola of those old-school tracks probably fared the worst. That's that's not unfair, is it? No, no. It's very tight. It's very fast, tricky corners. Um, yeah, I'm not... I like the track. I'm not a huge fan of it, of modern Formula One going there. I think they could get away with it in the past. The cars are less downforce. I think these current cars are maybe a bit too quick for it but then look at Mugello Mugello we said it was gonna be terrible and we got some really good racing at Mugello we did get an overtake or two I think at the Grand Prix last year in Imola I just think it's a very strange choice for the second race we had a fantastic first race we're gonna to go to yes. the second race and I'm pretty sure we're gonna have a not a letdown I hope we don't but I think we're gonna have a lot more sort of not such an exciting race we may well do I really hope we do but my prediction and what I think is gonna happen is I think Max Verstappen is going to do a run and hide yeah, possibly. But there is a there is a driver skill, Brad. I mean, this is a driver challenge. And if you're in the lead of the race, it's not a given that you're you're going to win. You've still got to not stuff it into turn one after the safety car, haven't you? Yeah, this is one of those things that I was talking about earlier where I like current F1. This is just a very different challenge. It's a different kind of track. We might not see loads of overtaking, but it's old school. There's lots of jeopardy. If you get something wrong, it's going to really cost you. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully people will stay engaged enough after all the excitement of the first race that they won't write the sport off if we don't have a particularly exciting on-track fight here. But as Kyle mentioned, I'm a bit worried Max is going to run and hide, especially after hearing this week that Red Bull was saying he was losing three-tenths of a second per lap because of his differential problem. Right. So if you are brand new to F1 and you've found us, firstly, like, welcome. I hope you found a, a podcast that you can be part of the community of, that you can join us in our live chat on YouTube by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on there. Uh, we do have to set up your expectations because if that was your first race that you were watching uh, and the Bahrain Grand Prix 2021 was your first F1 experience, I mean, wow, you saw uh, an absolute thriller. You saw a great tactical race. You saw um, one of the most exciting prospects in F1 history, in the form of Max Verstappen, starting to unleash his potential and looking frightening, and Red Bull looking frightening and quick. But you also saw uh, the seven-time world champion, I nearly said eight, Kyle, I nearly jinxed it, the seven-time world champion do a bit of a masterclass, to be fair, in strategy, in tyre saving, in defensive driving. You saw the best that probably F1 has had to offer for, for a while. I think I thought it was a magnificent race, whichever way round, it would have happened to have finished. So, yeah, 
we do have races that aren't like that. So just a warning, <laughs> not all races are like that. Bear with it. It's F1 is good over a season rather than any individual race. Um, my worry here, Matt, is that Bahrain wasn't representative because of sand, wind, and the Imola also isn't going to be representative because a little tight, a little twisty, that we're going to go race one, race two, without actually knowing where the pecking order really is. Well, the, one of the more interesting things about this race, we know that uh, Max had the issue with his differential that cost him pace. But we also know that Mercedes has had more time to try and get on top of their Diva car. and. Crucially, uh, and we saw George Russell suggest that he thinks that Mercedes might be suffering with the wind, as you note, as well. So we may not have seen the fastest Mercedes we are going to see. So everyone predicting a Verstappen walk away, I'm not yet convinced. I don't think we have enough evidence for that. And I love Kyle's characterization of this track as a massive error generator, because even the slightest mistake can really have massive consequences for the driver. So no, we may not get overtakes like we got in Bahrain, but that doesn't mean that the drivers aren't going to be on edge every second and that at any moment we might actually get something that really changes up the race. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it actually has something that a lot of people have been calling for a lot, and that's kitty litter, gravel. It's got gravel in the chicane. So yeah, the drivers really will be punished for their mistakes. But uh, the thing that makes me fear Red Bull quite a lot at this race is if you look back to Bahrain, uh, Martin Brundle on his, um, when he was standing by the side of the track in the free practices was commented a couple of times on how good the Red Bull was over the curbs and how planted it was versus how nervous the Mercedes was looking. Now, Imola is all about riding the curbs hard through the chicanes to get the lap time. So that's why I think Max will run away, but hopefully not. Okay. So what do we want to see apart from a great fight up front? Um, I've, I've got a bit of a Perez Fossey thing that I want to see, Matt. I, I'm, I've already run out of patience. I've already got the kind of honeymoon period out of the way where we can give grace i'm i'm a terrible fan but i want to i want to stop talking about it in terms of being better than alban and being better than gasly I, I, we will need to do away with that helmut marco said in free air perez was running as quickly as max verstappen obviously max verstappen had this diffuser issue and that probably if that was true then maybe that's affecting other stuff affecting tires progressively kind of cumulatively affecting him but I still want to see Perez right, right up there. I don't think I. I don't want to be talking about right. The minimum is fourth place, which is what we were talking about with Albon, and he so inconsistently got there. I think we now we need to go right. Actually, if, if Max Verstappen wins, you need to be you need to be third uh, at least. And I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm asking too much. Well, here's what I love about this. Aside from the fact that you totally tried to head off my point that Verstappen's free airspeed would be <laughs> compromised by his diff not yeah, working yeah, yeah, properly. Yeah, yeah. Aside from that, I went back and looked at Albon's first race with Red Bull, and he qualified, I don't know, 16th maybe. It was basically at the back. And do you know where he finished? At like fifth place, which is exactly what happened to Perez. So for me, the answer for Perez is not the race, because he, we know he has those skills. The answer for Perez is can he do in qualifying what is needed to be done so that he will be a chess piece in the race for the whole duration of the Grand Prix. Yeah. And I think he will be, um, he just needs a clean weekend and Helmut Marco in that interview, when he was explaining the point three of a second lap time loss for 
Verstappen's um, differential actually said Perez was suffering from the same issue as well, particularly early in the race, and that his his pace was super, super close to Verstappen. So actually, I think Red Bull were very, very happy with their choice. <laughs> and I think Perez Good. is getting the job done also because of what happened to him on the first lap. Imagine how flustered you're going to be when you're, you know, on the sighting lap, on the warm-up lap. Imagine how flustered you're going to be of all these systems. He's sorted himself out. So if he can get a clear qualifying, as Matt said, I think he's, yeah, I think he's going to be convincingly in the mix with the Mercedes. All right. And Brad, how many chances do you think that Vettel is going to have before Hulkenberg takes over? Ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I would imagine Aston Martin have invested quite a lot in the marketing <laughs> surrounding Vettel. You've seen all the adverts for the, the Aston Martin DBX um, during the coverage. I think it will look. Re- I think it's going to have to get really bad before they actually drop him. They'll they'll have a lot of excuses before that point. I hope it doesn't come to that, and I really hope he turns it around because I, I just want him to do well. I don't want his his time in Formula One to end with a you know horrible fizzling out. Haven't you read Twitter? They've already they've already declared that Hulkenberg is gonna is gonna take over because he has been announced as the reserve driver for Aston Martin. Well. Uh, I, I'm hoping Vettel can, can pull something out the bag here I so am. we can stop that. For the I moment. am as well, especially if Aston Martin make a bit of progress. I want to see Alonso battling Vettel, battling Raikkonen, you know, occasionally being a fly in the ointment for, for Bottas and Perez, etc. as well. We want to see the best drivers performing well. So um, now that Vettel isn't a direct rival to Lewis Hamilton, I, I, I'm, I'm generally wishing him well. See, I have gone... I have gone ham again, haven't I, Booze Baron? I apologised once last week. That's that's it. I got yelled at for apologising as well by Hamilton fans. So no more. I'm, I'm fully back on the Hamilton train for the rest of the season. Um, guys, we're going to move on to a tech segment, but thank you so much to our panel. Go and follow the beautifully bearded Kyle Power at Kyle Power F1. Uh, go and follow Brad Philpot, who is uh, Bradley Philpot on Twitter, but search for Brad Philpot on YouTube. And you're still doing your live streams. You're still streaming iRacing races and stuff? Yeah, I haven't done as much live streaming recently because the series I've been racing in has really good coverage with commentators and that kind of thing. So I've been kind of directing people just to watch that because it's better than mine. But yeah, when I do Nürburgring 24 hours or Le Mans 24 hours, all that kind of thing, I will be streaming again. And would you be up for streaming a little Spanners training session in tyre saving in F1 cars? Yeah, I, I am. I'm really looking forward to doing that. Just a <laughs> Spanner's training session in general, getting the Formula One car around the track in a, a good lap time. So I always enjoy our, do that. Really soon. I always enjoy our little training sessions. I try to be a responsive student. If you say take that corner flat out, I will take it flat out, even if in reality that corner in a karting circuit isn't flat out at all. You made a mis- mistake, and I ended up bouncing over curbs and really hurting myself. <laughs> Thanks for listening to me. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> No, you're you're a fantastic coach, and which is why I'm really delighted when you uh, when you coach my boy as well. Thank you very much to Brad Philpot. Uh, follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter. His wife sells books. You might want to check out the links to all of that stuff. Um, and her Twitter handle is at a Weaver Writes. But Matt, you did a, a little segment for us, and I think we should probably play that out now. And then we'll let's do that. Let's do that, and then we'll come back and give out comment of the week. But this is Matt catching up with Matthew Summerfield at Summers F1. So Summers, it's great to see you again. You know, it's been a while since we chatted and you are the assistant technical editor at motorsport.com. You are the man with the plan on from all of Techistan. So we know you know what you're talking about. There's been a lot of, lot of technical chat and a lot of aero chat going on. So I'm looking forward to catching up with you. 
Yeah, it's great to be back on, Matt. Thanks for inviting me along. And yeah, as you say, there has been a huge amount of stuff going on uh, during pre-season and the first race. And uh, there's plenty for us to delve on into. Okay, well, let's not waste any time. As always, I want to start with the tires because the tires are really the key to this whole situation. We started out with these new aero regulations that everyone is either happy about or complaining about, depending upon who they support. We started out because we were not going to have new tires. And then we got new tires anyway. So am I the only person who finds that just a little bit odd in terms of, uh, in terms of like, well, why did we get the new tires after we made the changes to not have new tires? Okay, so I think the biggest thing here is all about the amount of downforce that's been gained over the last few years by the teams and the amount that is still possible, even with the amount of downforce that the FIA have cut. They took or projected 10% reduction for 2021 with the the changes that they made to the regulations. But in honesty, most of the teams have already got that back. They've recouped their losses. And this year, we'll see more downforce added to the cars. So in response to that, and we've already having done the development work for those tyres, Pirelli decided to bring in a new batch for 2021. The important thing there, though, is that uh, the construction of the tyre is different both front and rear, but the shape of the tyre is different at the front, not at the rear. And that has an impact not only on the way that the tyre operates in terms of its operating window, temperature-wise, but also on the aerodynamic profile of the car as well. Right. So what you're saying is, what I'm hearing is downside, 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 downside. Are there any upsides to these new tyres? I mean, different shape. Obviously, no data now, different construction. Is, is there any, do we have any positives now that they've been run in anger? Yeah, the, the obvious uh, thing that is different for these tyres compared to last year is that we're that the teams are now allowed to run at lower tyre pressures, uh, starting pressures, which means that obviously they have more scope to gr- gain performance. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues that the teams have had in the opening phase of understanding how to deal with these tyres, though, is the way that the front tyres are obviously very different to last year. And I think what a lot of the teams are noticing is, is that they have to work the front tyre a little harder in order to get the maximum operating window out of it. Uh, and that's perhaps where there's going to be you know, a, a bit of push and pull between the front end of the grid where they try to find that additional performance. Okay. so. We've set up the tires as being behind these aero regulation changes. Now, uh, I know from just reading that it was a bit complex, the actual agreement, like not every team was happy with this particular solution, but all of the teams had agreed a solution was necessary. So let's get into the main topic here, which is we have a lot of stuff out there from Aston and a bit from Mercedes about the regulations having hurt them more. If I look at the times, it's hard to argue, but why are they suffering more? And is it a case of they were always going to suffer more? Is is it a problem that's not solvable in the same way the higher rate cars are able to solve? It's not impossible to solve at the end of the day. I think that the thing to remember here is that the way that the regulations have changed during this period has been in stages. So the original version only really had the cutouts in the edge of the floor. Then they added in uh, removing some of the lower fences to the 
braked up fence. So they, they they made those only 40 millimetres, whereas there was about 80 millimetres before. And they lopped off the bottom of the diffuser fences as well, the strakes uh, that go in the middle of the diffuser. They've taken 50 millimetres off the bottom of those, which, again, you know, there are variations about how to deal with those rules and McLaren are at the top end of that uh, question mark. Um, but all of these things have obviously had an impact. In terms of the low-rake runners, uh, their problem is probably more to do with the fact in way in the way the rules are locked in this year for the homolog- homologation and the token system, let's say, because they are unable to change things that uh, can also have an, a, an, a, an impact on the diffuser area. Um, let's talk about it like an aerodynamic handshake. So aerodynamic structures are created from the front end of the car to the rear end of the car. And if all those structures line up perfectly, you get the performance you're looking for. But inevitably, you're going to have some things that don't work as you anticipated. You have things that break down at certain uh, your angles or, you know, th- there's very many different variables. But essentially what we're looking at is that the low rake runners aren't able to change some of the things that they might have done had they been able to change, for argument's sake, their chassis design. Think about wheelbase and think about what Mercedes had trouble with in 2017, which was the shift in terms of the way that the diffuser and the rest of their aerodynamic profile had that aerodynamic handshake. We had obviously the issue where they had the Diva car. Uh, And I think we're in a very, very much a similar situation here. It's not a case of just these teams have been hurt because of one specific thing, i.e., everybody's talking about rake but it's the demands that have been placed on the teams for 2021 in terms of being able to redesign mass areas of their car that has also hit them Uh, and on top of that mercedes are obviously now moved to um, a more traditionally sprung car whereas in the past they've gone with the hydraulic side of things they did spend some obviously time using that during 2020 um, but they have much more experience during the hybrid era with the hydraulically sprung uh, platform. Okay, so what I'm what I'm taking away from that is it's kind of a perfect storm here. It's not just a regulation or regulations changed. It's also restrictions they normally wouldn't have and new tires for which they didn't have data interacting in ways that are not necessarily predictable. All that aside, though, they do seem to be struggling more So I'm going to ask, is there a specific aspect of the way the diffusers work or behave? Because looking at post-race analysis, we saw that there were very specific turns where Red Bull convincingly outperformed Mercedes. So is there a way that the higher rake diffusers work and the behavior of it as they go through those turns that that is where the difference is right now being found and where perhaps Mercedes is struggling? To, to be honest, to get into the details of this, I, I can only really generalise on certain things uh, and because it is something that would send us into the weeds. We could be here for hours talking on this topic because it is a very complex area of the car with how many flow structures combine to, to get into the diffuser and make the diffuser work in the way that the teams want it to. I think the two things that are perhaps most damaging uh, to the way the low rake runners uh, are having problems is the, the the ancillary changes that came along afterwards, which is the height of the straights and the width of the brake duct winglets. And that's because of the way that those flow structures interact at the ground level. 
if you imagine a higher raked car, so the Red Bull runs at a higher rake with a nose down attitude, um, they've already forsaken using the strakes in some ways in ground effect. Uh, because in ground effect, the strakes in the diffuser will start to roll up uh, a vortex, let's say, that um, is usable. Whereas, obviously, Red Bull have sort of forsaken that for other options. Um, Mercedes, Aston Martin will be using that to try to improve the flow from the throat of the diffuser to the rear of the diffuser. And as I was saying earlier, it's all about these aerodynamic handshakes um, between these flow structures. And what I always tend to remember is the change in regulations to 2017 when we got the massive increase in the size of the diffuser and suddenly teams were struggling because they didn't understand the mechanism of how to deal with that transition from the the flat floor section to then a very steep angled diffuser section which was ahead of the front wheel, the rear wheel center line for the first time in years. And so it's a massive balancing act that, that the teams have got to try to recover these situations. I don't think it's impossible for uh, Mercedes and Aston Martin to deal with this problem, but it will be more about mitigation and actual fixes um, in the short term, at least. Uh, and the pro- biggest problem that the, perhaps they have is how far do you go how much do you commit in terms of resources to be able to resolve these problems for 2021 without having an impact on your program for 2022? And also remember that whilst we are thinking of Imola right now as the next race, the teams would have been preparing for Imola probably 20 weeks ago. And suddenly they've got in the middle of that, probably 10 weeks ago, a realisation that they have an issue. So you've suddenly got a, a diverging set of development programs that have to work alongside one another to bring in line the performance that you were trying to aim for and the fixes that you've now got to put onto the car. Okay, so would you say it would be fair then uh, to suggest that in terms of the diffuser concept battle, um, and if you just think about the diffuser in its simplest terms, it's essentially a volume problem. So I can have long and flat, or I can have steeper and and shorter and have the same volume and therefore roughly the same diffuser i I can see you making faces at me but just in its simplest terms but in reality there's also an efficiency component there and that red bull had given up some efficiency for the high rake in the use of the strakes as you mentioned whereas mercedes and aston sort of were much more dependent on it so anything not working right there is going to be more for them to find. So so where the fuzziness was induced by the regulations, Red Bull was already not working that as hard. Correct. In, in some ways. I also think that it's important to mention that we talk about the diffuser and the rake problems in isolation uh, as a general term. But you have to think about the overall uh, map of the car, the aero map. So we're also talking about topside surfaces that have an impact on the diffuser and the way the the airflow from the diffuser is extricated out the back of the car. So, uh, And I do believe this is where perhaps Mercedes mitigated some of those problems in Bahrain, is that they balanced some of the problems that they were having beneath the car with some of the aero that they have on top of the car. Um, They were certainly much more stable in the race conditions in Bahrain 
than they were in the preseason test. And I think it's easy to say that they have found some problems and some fi- small fixes um, in that very short time between the two events. Well, that will certainly be encouraging uh, for them. And I do want to move on and talk about power units because they're not unrelated to talking about the aero surfaces on the top. Here's me knowing a thing already. But before we do, you mentioned restrictions. We know this is the first year of the resource restrictions. Uh, and I've seen Mercedes saying that, that that could be an issue for them. Uh, but it's also almost as much an issue for Red Bull as well because they finished second in the championship last year. Yeah, but they're, they're still only giving up a smaller percentage to Mercedes. The, the big difference is when you look at somebody like Ferrari that finished in sixth place. They have a massive advantage over the likes of Red Bull and Mercedes in that respect because they're not that far off when it comes to their car. Um, but they have found themselves in a championship position that has been ideal in this transition period towards a new regulation set, let's say. Um, and I think that's perhaps where the bigger teams are worried that they might give up some adva- some of their advantage is to the teams that are in the mid-pack that perhaps shouldn't realistically be in the pack. Well, you say worried and I say excited because I'm excited if that gap to the midfield closes and we could see the likes of an Alpha Tauri or a Ferrari, I guess you have to put them there, or a McLaren really dicing for one of the podium spots on genuine merit and not just because, you know, a couple of people drove into each other or a bridge or whatever. I must also point out as well, which I think is something that hasn't been covered extensively, is that there are what we call ATPs which are basically uh, a period within the season in which by the, those percentage scales are changed once again. So although Ferrari started the, pl- the season in sixth place, at a certain point in the season, they will, they will gravitate towards their current championship position. So it's, it's always going to be in the mix. It's not, this is the definitive line in the sand. Here's the percentage you will always work with. There's always going to be movement in terms of the the scale that they get for wind tunnel and CFD. Well, that sounds so reasonable. Now I'm wondering, did the FIA even really come up with these regulations? Well, I'm quite sure that there was a lot of talk between themselves and the FOM working group. Let's put it that way. Uh, It sounds good. So can we move on and talk about the power units? I know from reading about Honda that essentially they took a look and, and all of this is in anticipation of the various freezes and caps that are going to be coming in in 2022. Everybody wants to get the big work done before they can't fix anything. But I know that Honda in particular took a look at their 2022 plans and said, you know what, let's just make it 2021 just for fun. And and I, that seems to have had an impact, but they're not the only ones. Mercedes had a pretty big power unit change too. Yeah, I think all of the manufacturers have tended to fast track the ideas that they had perhaps sitting um, in, the, in the back of the shelves waiting for uh, the development to, to arrive um, and have brought it to 2021 in, in anticipation. Uh, perhaps Renault being the only one that hasn't gone as far as some of the others in that respect. But as you say, Honda, some of the details that are coming out regarding their power unit is exceptionally exciting. and. Um, leads me to believe that they're at least on par with Mercedes, if not having overtaken them at this stage. However, to caveat that statement, I would also say that um, we are in the early stages of 
the use of these particular power units. And I do believe that perhaps they're not being worked quite as hard as you would anticipate they will be towards the middle and end of the season as they just try to refine um, everything that they've had on the dynos and work out whether and where they can push those settings for the races ahead. On top of that, going back to Honda, I have to say, looking at what they have changed, it is massive. Um, They have put a huge amount of work into redesigning the, the power unit for this season in terms of the inlet plenum, They've changed the um, position of the um, valves. They've changed the valve cover itself. They've changed the cam position. Effectively, what they're trying to do is make the, the unit as tight as possible. And in fact, it's probably smaller in some respects than the size zero version of the power unit was back in 2015, which is what I think initially they were trying to aim towards, but didn't have the technology, the understanding or know-how to get there as quickly as they thought they could back then. And so we were ending up in a situation where Honda have taken a pill, let's say, in terms of understanding how perhaps Mercedes have gone about certain things and also extrapolated the good work that they can get from other departments within Honda. So, you know, they've got their jet side of the business where they've helped with um the design of the turbines uh, the turbo um impellers to make those more efficient and then you've got things like coatings inside the combustion chamber uh which is a carryover from some of their work on motorcycles and obviously motorcycles running at a much higher rev range they have used that knowledge to to incorporate it into their power unit this year and so i think that they're at a stage now where it's so disappointing to see them walk away from the sport again because they've got there and then all of a sudden it's just this very small moment and then all of a sudden they'll be gone again. Uh, and, and it seems to be a trend for Honda, unfortunately, for them to do that. But you can understand in the, the current economic environment that they're operating within that they have to take that step. Yeah, well, it's it's where car manufacturers seem right now to be headed is the electrification. And that is their complete justification for ending uh, an internal combustion engine program, albeit even one with a strong hybrid component, is that their future is electric and they want to concentrate on that. And at least it looks like they will be going out with a bang, but not the kind of bang that means your race is over on lap two. Yeah, but what I also understand is that they're prepared to still continue to work alongside Red Bull. They're not just simply going to walk away from the sport. They will be there as customer service support, let's say. And if Red Bull wish to employ them as as a, a way of helping them along with the power unit, then I believe that Honda are there to to offer that service to them. So it's not really entirely the end. It is just that there's a soft sort of landing into the transition between it being a Honda power unit and a Red Bull power unit. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad they're going to continue to support the project because they have achieved a truly remarkable thing. In fact, I read somewhere, and I don't know how true this is, that that the Honda engine was actually derating after the Mercedes engine at the end of straights, which if that's true, you've always said that the Mercedes deployment has been the thing that set their power unit apart. It sounds like Honda may finally have matched them in that department. Yeah. And I do think that it's important to look back at last year 
in that respect as well. And I think this battle this year has kind of come a year late because I firmly believe that Honda had almost recouped the, the performance differential to Mercedes at the start of last season. But unfortunately, the uh, technical directives that were issued throughout the season scuppered uh, Honda in some ways. Um, the, I know that we all talk about the way that Ferrari were pegged back by what happened with the fuel flow restrictions, but Honda were doing some interesting things in terms of deployment um, and energy recovery. And I think some of those technical directives kind of stymied what they were up to. And it appears that they've been able to uh, recreate those scenarios, that, but still within the bounds of the technical directives and the regulations and the way the FIA uh, want to meter everything. And so that is why, as you mentioned, it looks now as if they are at the king of energy recovery and deployment is because they have been able to uh, masterfully control the, the situation that they found themselves uh, hampered with last season. Well, Summers, thanks so much for taking the time to come and visit with us. And as usual, our conversations have spun an endless number of questions that you're going to have to promise and come back and answer fairly soon. Of course I will. And it's been great to uh, have a chat with you, Matt. Uh, thanks. And where can people find you if they're looking for you on the internet? Well, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter because that's where I put all my content. So if you head to uh, Summers F1 on Twitter, you will find all of my uh, analysis at, at your fingertips. Great. We'll catch up soon then. Great. That's uh, tech time. I love Tech Time. I always listen to it normally, Matt. So it was no issue at all for me to have to edit that and then watch it again just now and then also uh, have to watch it again later when I do the, the post-production. Yeah, I was going to say you normally do listen multiple times just <laughs> to make sure you understand every last nuance of what Summers is saying, right? I, I used to. <laughs> but look, our plan with Tech Time is uh, because I think some people... We're getting put off by just clicking a whole big chunk of tech. I've never had an yeah. issue with the quality of, of that show. It's brilliant. But what we're going to try and do, especially with Stuart as well, is do it little and often and have it as a pre-record at the end of some of our non-race streams. The pre-records with the non-race streams also mean that we have an opportunity to catch up with people during the week who might not necessarily want to sit down with us for a couple of hours on a Sunday. They can just drop in during office hours, speak to us for 20 minutes, and then we can play that out for you uh, on the show as well. Uh, before we get into comment of the week, I just want to thank everybody who shares our show. Uh, that is our number one way of growing and ensuring our future. I believe, and I, I'm happy to be challenged on this, that we are the most popular independent Formula One podcast. And by that, I mean where the hosts are also the producers and owners of the project. Um, I'm not upset if there is a, a, a bigger one, but I, I am also very proud um, of the position that we're in. And that is down to people sharing our show. So if you share mistapex.net, your friend that you share it with will be greeted with the video and the audio. Two clicks. They click your link, then they click the video or the audio, whatever they want to choose. So please go ahead and share mistapex.net. Consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex all the links are below so just look in the show notes and and click and make sure you subscribe whether you are on youtube please like and subscribe our 
to our, our videos and subscribe to the channel. And also make sure that you are subscribed on your podcatcher of choice. That means going to your Apple iPod app or Dogcatcher or Pocket Cast and making sure that you are subscribed to us so the new episode gets delivered to you, whether or not I remember to post on Twitter. What else? Oh, yes, one last thing. We are looking for new voices on the Mixed Apex podcast. Doesn't mean anyone's being sacked, but we have always had a large revolving panel on Mixed Apex, and we're always looking for new and interesting voices to add to to the mix. I, I learned early on my podcasting journey that you will pod fade if you only rely on one or two people. And I've loved the voices we have on Missed Apex. And it means they don't get in too much trouble, Matt, do they? They don't get too much spousal pressure if I only ask people to appear once a month instead of committing to every Sunday night. I, I know I, I know whose spouse was sending you messages about the length of our programs. <laughs> I won't name names. Thank you. I appreciate but, that. But, but we know who it was. Yeah. Uh, right. So uh, there's a lot of benefits to having a large evolving panel. And maybe you could join that. So there's specific instructions because I don't want to waste anybody's time. So go and find either my LinkedIn profile, uh, Spanners Ready on LinkedIn, or the at Missed Apex F1 Twitter feed. Uh, click on the profile. It's about four tweets down or something. You'll see an instructional video on there. We are looking for someone who is ready to go out of the box. There are several occasions where I've brought people up to a a, a quote unquote broadcast standard. Uh, but on this occasion, we're looking for someone with a history of content who has got all the equipment, who is ready to go and join our crew. Matt, the live stream has been incredibly busy today, especially for a a non-race show, for a a non-race weekend. We give out an award, and it's called this. Comment of the week. And that is sung by the lovely Mrs. Spanners, who also performs with you and does musicy things whenever we get to do live karting events, which will hopefully be very, very soon. Uh, Who are the candidates for Comment of the Week, Matt? All 900 of them? Oh, just, do you know what? Whatever, I've poured a drink now, so just do what you got to do. No, I will say they make it very hard on me, the chat, because they throw up so many good and interesting and funny comments. But I have boiled it down to a select few, starting with Mark Greenhow. Please don't say you hope Vettel turns it around, Brad. It's a bit insensitive. Oh, that's cold, Mark. That can't win just because of how cold it is. When Mark goes... He's not talking about Rambo. He's talking about how cold he is. Indeed. Uh, and in that same vein, we have Yelmer Vanderlei, Mazza Pinnacle of Motorsport. Next. Uh, regarding energy drinks, Max Attack says, beer is my energy drink. That's why I'm so lazy. And I just sort of like generally concur. Yes. My, honestly, the amount of times I've realized that the reason I get into trouble with alcohol is not necessarily because you're drunk. It's because it blocks how sleepy you are and you end up doing things super, super tired when you should definitely have been in bed. Indeed. Uh, we have PDE, quote, an aerodynamic handshake is my WWE finishing move. <laughs> Here he comes with the aerodynamic handshake. Boom, he's gone. And I think we'll finish up with uh, Daniel Aldrus Critchley. Before Mist Apex came along in my life, a low rake was just a gardening hazard. Nice. And that could also be a callback to my gardening endeavors on FM radio. I think I like the wrestling one, Matt. Let's have that again. That would be P-D-E, quote, an aerodynamic handshake is my WWE finishing move. Comment of the week. 
thank you for joining us, guys. Do make sure if you're a patron, you tune in on Friday. We're going to do a a live stream probably sometime after FP2. And then we put that audio out on the patron only feed, RSS feed that you get if you're a patron. Um, But don't, you know, reduce your expectations. We we don't edit it. We just put it out as it is, as a little bit of of extra content. Uh, But if not, then do make sure you join us at 8 p.m., UK time. We're on BST, so that's GMT plus one. We'll be live at 8 p.m. We do want to get that review out at 8 o'clock. And by the morning, you will have an audio and video version ready for your Monday morning commute or just to watch to take away the, the pain of your Monday morning at work. You're working from home now, probably, so no one will know. Uh, do follow the show at Missed Apex F1. Because Matt is so on it, all the links to everything we've talked about are in the show notes of your video and audio. Really looking forward to this race weekend. Wherever we see you next, guys, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Yeah, we don't we don't need Kyle and Brad for the end of the show. Send ah, them to you bed. And me. Send them OG to bed. style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.